And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, everybody working up. Everybody's working. With that time, Jersey. I don't know how many times we can go back to the only weird games well with the Kansas City Chiefs because at this point, it's not so much a piece of analysis or an opinion or anything. It's just sort of an undeniable fact. It would be like opening the show by talking about gravity like every single Monday. So Nate Taylor joining me. I mean, I'm joining Nate. We're both here together. I'm Joshua Briscoe. Seth Kaiser not with us today. That was what I was trying to get at. Nate Taylor, are we in a place where we can just go ahead and say six weeks into the year, 11 regular season games remaining, that no matter what, the Chiefs are in only weird seasons territory for 2021? There are so little things in this season, Josh, that I think we and fans can hold on to for for stability, for normalcy, for something to look forward to. Because, ladies and gentlemen, for all our mental health, you got to have something to look forward to. And you know, just about every Sunday in the months from September to December, and including a little January, perhaps early February, that the Chiefs are going to play a weird game. Like, Josh, there was like no one in the stadium. No one. There was no vibes. And (laughs) they played a game where I felt they dominated their opponent and were trailing at halftime. So, of course, the Chiefs only play weird games. I mean, look, I don't know what this will mean moving forward. This six-game sample size is perplexing, which is what I put in the athletic. <laughs> They're three and three. But, nah, man, we just we just got to ride this weird roller coaster because – uh, I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. So, hey, look look forward to it's going to be weird, but hopefully, if you're a Chiefs fan, the final score says you won. <laughs> We're going to get to see tonight. We're doing this show right now early Monday afternoon, and so tonight we're going to get to watch a matchup of the team that just curb stomped the Chiefs versus mm. the team they'll see next week. And so that's going to be a, a nice Monday night matchup to kind of Get things back in view, but I'm already looking ahead to the Titans, partially just because they've got a whole lot of names that we all know on the offensive side of the ball, which should be pretty interesting. But you taking the view of they're three and three, this has been a roller coaster, and do not think that you are stepping off the roller coaster. You should just merely be trying to put on an extra strap of of, of protection, put on one of the, the you know the, the big padded bars that go up over your head, mm-hmm. like one of those roller coasters that turns upside down, like if you've ridden the Patriot at Worlds of Fun. We're on that kind of roller coaster. We're putting on that kind of padded protection. Because it's going to get and stay weird from this point forward. Uh, that let's let's start within all of that. Because Andy Reid mentioned this, 
it's been kind of the talking point today and even last night where like there were clearly two distinct halves of football yesterday, right? You you have the first half where you still see the mistakes popping up. Patrick Mahomes throws probably the worst pass of his professional career that just, I mean, we can circle back on that one if we need to. Mm-hmm. But you've got the turnovers. You've got Tyreek Hill uh, having another interception pop off his hands after nearly giving up one again in the first drive of the game by slipping. Travis Kelsey almost fumbled the ball in that first drive. You have all of these different things going through the first half where at halftime, um, <laughs> in fact, I'll, I'll cross-promote uh, briefly here. Our, our friend BJ Kissel, I happened to see the beginning of the uh, halftime show that uh, they were doing over on KCSN, and BJ opened it up. And I'm going to I'm going to clean this one up because Times Ards is a family show, even when Seth isn't here. Correct, ladies and gentlemen. BJ said, "I'm going to try to keep this family friendly, but no effing promises." And he didn't say effing, and I cracked up. That was the energy at halftime because they were trailing to a team without a team name. Like that's not a place you want to be. And then and in the second half, you get rocket ship Chiefs offense. Yeah. And look, uh, someone made this point, um, and it was it was funny in the press box where it was like, I can't read the other team's jersey numbers. <laughs> and guys, we weren't that high up. We were in the <laughs> middle of the stadium, and it's like they don't have a logo. They're just wearing uh, generic, creative team uniforms, and yep. I can't read their numbers. <laughs> Because the yellow or whatever the the color scheme is, is awful in comparison to the Chiefs' traditional red, white, and gold uniform. So, I mean, it's it was quite a time, you know. Um, I had a lovely conversation with one of my colleagues at halftime. So, I apologize if people were, like, ready to go at halftime. <laughs> and I was just like, I'm a, I, I couldn't get to everybody as, as much as I usually do. Um, but, yeah, man. Yeah. Just, it is the worst pass in the Patrick Mahomes era, Josh. And the only thing you can kind of do is laugh. Uh, yeah. Because... It's been weird to say, because I don't think we ever said anything similar in 18. Uh, obviously, Mahomes playing through multiple injuries was at like probably the peak of his powers, weirdly, in mm-hmm. 2019. And then last year, he was almost near flawless. He could have won the MVP award had like Aaron Rodgers not, you know, had another excellent season and had more years on his birthday. Basically, that's why Aaron Rodgers won the MVP award, guys, because he's old. (laughs) Or he's football old, I should say. Um, And he was putting up ridiculous numbers. Um, Which, again, kind of a credit to Avante Adams, as much as it is to Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. But anyway, Patrick Mahomes, in most years, probably would have won the MVP award. This is twice now where we've said, wow, that's the worst pass in Mahomes' career. And then two weeks later, we're like, wow, that's the worst pass in Patrick's career. So... Um, you, you laugh because it's funny how this team performs in a way where the defense is like, okay, enough's enough. We're going to like get our stuff together. We're not going to make any silly, you know, personnel mistakes. We're going to play the people you want to play. Finally, uh, hell, we're even going to get a turnover in the first half. (laughs) And the Chiefs offense is like. Yeah, we don't actually we don't actually yeah. want the ball right now. Go play more defense. Okay. So, he just wanted the ball. 
Um, so it took him a while, but it was a it was a um, it was a startling contrast of, of of two halves. And honestly, the Chiefs probably needed halftime because one of the things you all you always think about Josh is like if there was no halftime, if there was no automatic ten to twelve minute break. Mm. Like, the Chiefs really could have spiraled, which is something Patrick yeah. alluded to after the game. He was like, man, we it really could have spiraled. And my thought process was, you know, most games, it's like halftime is just a function of commercials, mostly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of, of analysis. Of, yeah, sponsored halftime shows. That, yeah. Yeah, yeah, a boomer assassin saying, he can't do that! <laughs> what? Uh, that's what halftime for is for. <laughs> halftime in the NFL was just built so he could have what? And by the way, oh, huh? A West Coast team playing at eleven at nine a.m. getting smoked. Okay, <laughs> what else is new? Let's <laughs> keep that up. So that's really what halftime is for. But there are the rare occurrences where a team actually needs halftime, and the Chiefs really needed it to reset themselves. Patrick included. And as I wrote in the athletic, it was the it was the difference of what happens when your best player does something just wildly wrong. Um, mm-hmm. And so many times, Patrick has gone to McCall Hartman has gone to McCall Hartman and been like, "All right, young fella, you can do it." <laughs> <laughs> Some, sometimes he's gone to Demarcus Robinson and Tyree Keel, and he's like, "The ball was perfectly placed." Please catch it next time. Or, hey, offensive line, we just we just need to be who we are, which is played at a more consistent. Please get on my level. Like that's mm-hmm. usually what Patrick is like. Just please get on my level. Um, the defense will eventually help us out. Just get on my level, um, which is hard to do because you know he is not the, many people have that level. He is the rare athlete. So it was it was it was interesting for him to acknowledge that. Not only did we as a team need halftime, I needed encouragement from my teammates um, so that I didn't waver or spiral more into having not just a bad half, but maybe a bad game, which would complicate more of the season. Um, But, you know, Josh, I wonder from your vantage point, how much how much of this six game streak or the six game stretch, I should say, like how much of this is like. Like how much have we learned? <laughs> like is 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 oh. the pro- is the problem I'm wrestling with? Because like sometimes I'll say, and it kind of changes by the hour or the quarter, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, I feel like I've learned something about the team, or this is not what I anticipated, or this is a clear reverse. Like, I what do you think we've learned through six games beyond that? Hey, they're not they're not world beaters. Like, I guess it's most of us anticipated. It's such a good question. I was prepared for you to ask a lot of questions there and you did not you did not deliver the ones that I was expecting. I think I think there's a danger in saying that we have learned a lot because here let, let me I, maybe I can answer that I can reverse engineer this. Because after the game yesterday, one thing that I was talking about is that I, I do think that if you're going to say, look at the first half of this game yesterday and the second half of this game yesterday, which one is closer to being like the legitimate 2021 Kansas City Chiefs? Mm-hmm. The, the, the true answer is that it's somewhere in between. It's a little bit of both. But I think the 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 
if I had to lean in one direction, I would say the second half version of the Chiefs is a little bit closer to the truth because we have seen the sample size over a couple of years before this with some very similar personnel. Obviously, more changes this offseason than last offseason, but for the most part, We've seen Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Frank Clark, Chris Jones, Tyron Matthew, kind of that. The the, the nucleus, Anthony Hitchens, if you want, the nucleus yes. is is similar enough that I do think you can go back a couple of years to understand what we're watching now. What I think we've learned distinctly this year is that the Chiefs are playing a brand of football that is... I don't even know if I can say messier because I'm not sure. I don't think Tyree Kill was sloppy on the the catch that should have been that ended up being a pick. Mahomes is was was sloppy. We can come back to that though. I've got thoughts right. on that. I, I don't I don't think that Clyde Edwards Elaire had his head somewhere else whenever he got stripped in in the Baltimore game and the game turned right there. I just think we have seen that turnovers can make the Chiefs look like a team made up of human beings instead of cyborgs, and that whenever they whenever they do have mistakes like that, whenever they get absolutely obliterated in the turnover differential, they are not good enough to play that kind of football and still beat the class of the AFC. That's the and they did they did beat the Browns, but did not have quite the turnover issues they had against the Ravens and the Chargers and the Bills. Mm-hmm. They're worse than those three teams whenever they whenever they lose the turnover battle at a level that we have never seen from them. The funny thing is that I think you could ask the question of, well, but is that going to continue? And I don't think that we have enough information to answer that one, which is probably the most important question that the Chiefs still have for the rest of this season. Yeah, and Andy Reid has said, and I think your I think your all your thoughts are completely logical. Um, which tells you all you need to know about this season. Because <laughs> Andy has sort of said with a bit of arrogance that like, oh, we'll fix it. It's going to mm-hmm. get fixed. He said, and when it's done, it's going to be a pretty picture, which I was like, all right, it's not Mozart's paintings, but we're getting there. You know? <laughs> I forgot like, about Mozart's paintings. I mean, it's not, it's not Mozart with the paintbrush, but all right. Oh, that's awesome. I'm so I, glad you reminded me that that's a thing that happened. <laughs> 2019, just a magical season in Different every time. in every way, shape, and form. Um, so he's confident, but like I'm asking you, audience, how confident are you that they're going to that they're going to actually turn this around? A to a more improving degree on defense, which they showed in the second half and mostly throughout the game. Um, and it looked like Tyler Heineke had finally. It's like, hey, the Chiefs have finally you called him. You called him Tyler again. Taylor. He didn't play that well, so I think he, he didn't play Tyler. that well. Yeah, Taylor Heineke was the first quarterback in six games that was like, hey, didn't bring his best today, uh, despite whatever the Chiefs were doing on the other side of the ball. And sure, uh, they have when they just when they don't turn the ball over. They are they are they are getting close to being a Death Star. Mm-hmm. It's just there's a lot of there's a lot of ways for those for the Death Star to be malfunctioning. So I I wonder. I mean, the reason why I ask you is just because it's something that I think Chiefs fans probably won't know the answer for another two to three weeks, right? I mean, yeah, we won't know until they 
play probably Green Bay. Um, and we'll see what happens tonight with, with Tennessee and Buffalo. Um, by the way, if Buffalo is as good as we think they are, they should do similar things to the mm-hmm. poor, to the poor Tennessee Titans. But hey, it's about mentally staying the course and showing your dominance over the course of a season, which the Chiefs have done, and the Bills are sort of uh, we think getting to that to that part of their um, championship aspirational tour. Mm. I just wonder if Mahomes cuts down the turnovers. It almost might not like it's just it's just interesting. Like let me take you on this journey, Josh. Okay, let's go. As you mentioned, Tyreek Hill slips on an RPO. Uh Kendall Fuller should probably have an interception. He drops mm. it. Because he's so surprised that like, wow, the ball's in my the ball's like near me. Um Mahomes says the first interception is actually on him because he should have thrown it between the one and the zero in Tyreek's jersey and not led him on his out route, which he said made the pass more difficult to catch. I, I guess I kind of see his point, um, but Tyreek should catch the ball, of course. Hit him in the hands. It did. Um, I'm not really concerned with Travis Kelsey, who played an exceptional football game, despite the fact that, like, Andy basically said his neck was uh was was in pain. Yeah, he played an exceptional football game despite the fact that he had an axe embedded in his helmet and a crossbow bolt sticking out of his neck. Mm-hmm. Like just absolutely just just beaten the entire game. And it was still great cuz he's incredible. Yeah. For a guy who does punt returns, <laughs> how be it however you want to evaluate how he does those things, uh McCall Harbin should not be fumbling. In traffic. I mean, mm-hmm. it's the same thing with Byron Pringle for two weeks before yesterday's game. When it's just fascinating when one thing doesn't go according to plan, at least for this season, they go through this stretch of like, I don't want to mess up. I don't want to mess up. I, oh mm-hmm. boy, I, I, the ball's on the ground. Or, oh, oh boy, like, I didn't catch the pass. Um, and then as soon as, like, one thing goes right, they start boat racing people on offense. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to make it clear to our subscribers that, like, in the second half, when Patrick did the right thing, which was take a sack on the first possession, which he was not willing to do <laughs> in the most horrific pass of the season, mm-hmm. uh, once he took a sack and made the right decision, it was a cumulative finding himself and all of a sudden everybody gaining confidence and then one touchdown leads to two and then two leads to three and they just I mean they just whip Washington in the second half um but I'm still fascinated in okay there's going to be another turnover but why is one leading to two leading to three and a half or are they actually going to cut that down to where there's more one touchdown leads to two touchdowns leads to three unless one turnover is just a blip. It's just a, hey, the defense did something well, not we screwed up. And then it mentally puts us in this spiral state, which again, Patrick is the first player all season, the first person on the team to acknowledge when things go bad, they've spiraled this season. And that has not been the case in 
2018, 2019, and obviously 2020 last year on offense. I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play a little optimist on this, and and you tell me if this makes sense. I, I think I mostly believe what I'm about to say, um, but you know, I'm I'm gonna lean into it when we see where we end up. First on the terrible, terrible interception that Patrick Mahomes threw at the end of the first half yesterday. Obviously, that is awful. You heard me. I'm saying terrible many times, and I'm saying it a lot because what I'm gonna say next, someone's gonna roll their eyes at. But situationally, that's a that's a a, a pass you cannot make. An execution that you cannot have. We talk about execution all the time. That's a pretty easy example of it. You're within field goal range. You could tie it up and going into half and get the ball back. That that would have been the play. Okay, at that point, he needs to get the ball out of bounds, take the sack, whatever. Mm-hmm. Just take the sack. It's totally Just, fine. You can you- take the sack there. You tried to make something happen and it, it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Also, and this is this goes along with everything I just said. It doesn't replace it. Patrick Mahomes' first national highlight as a professional was that play, but left-handed. Like, this is this is something that is in his DNA as a playmaker. Now, that was at midfield. I think they were down three with, like, two minutes left, third mm-hmm. down in Denver yep. with, the, with the backups, and, and they needed to move the ball there. Field goal was not an option. They were not—it was not second down or whatever, you know— that's a different situation, but he makes a left-handed pass with Von Miller hanging around his ankles, and then Patrick Mahomes and the entire nation learns all at the same time that he can do something like that. Later in the game yesterday, he does that shovel pass. Now, he didn't have anybody tackling him, but he does that shovel pass like six yards downfield to Travis Kelsey, however, however far down the field it was. It had a little bit of juice behind it, and he just shovels it downfield, and it was, I don't know if it was a first down conversion or a good gain. I think they ended up picking up a first down on that. I really hate when people talk about trying to like get stuff out of Patrick Mahomes' game. I think that's incredibly short-sighted. Um, and also, I don't think it's something that you can really do. What he needs to do in that situation, and he knows this better than I do. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm explaining this to Patrick Mahomes. And he's listening right now, taking notes, going, this is a good point. <laughs> he just can't do it in a situation where that risk is not worth it. And where there is very little chance for success, which is both, which was both true at the end of that first half. So would you make any corrections to anything I said there before I become a turnover optimist? No, but you know who you sound like, Josh? Who do I sound like? You sound like someone who has worked with Patrick Mahomes all his life. You sound like someone who has tried to enhance his greatness, his daring abilities, his his unconventional manner. You, Josh, sound like Bobby Stroop. Me and Bobby back on the same page again. I love it. So this is a beautiful point. Uh, You're right. Patrick knows this. But also, you know, the most important people around him. And Bobby, and I've written about this before, but the ability to know that, like, the results are going to probably be in your favor if you work at doing the things that people don't work at, if that makes sense. Mm, mm-hmm. Because they identified very early on that he was rarely gifted. Um, I think Bobby mentioned something today on Twitter that uh, may not get recognized in the overall discussion of the Chiefs. Uh, maybe not just in Kansas City, but like overall in the course of the national discourse and whatever they're saying internationally in Germany, I'm sure. 
Um, just random country I wanted to mention. Uh, Bobby's tweeted a kind of blew my mind where it's like Patrick Mahomes, according to Bobby, is on pace through six games. Still got 11 to go for 5,346 passing yards and 51 touchdowns. Um, and 600 plus rushing yards at seven yards per carry right now. Yep. Silly. Yeah. So again, if they just cut down the mistakes just a little, and if Josh Gordon plays more than like a handful mm-hmm. of snaps, mm-hmm. um, and everybody stays healthy, which is a big if, like this, this will be. I just wonder how much of wisdom to look beyond just today, how much that will um, be something that we can reference in November or into December um, because he's still playing at an incredible level at times. It's just been fascinating to know that like he's not at all Madden mode. Right. All of the games <laughs> for all right. of the minutes. Um, but I think what you said, Josh, and us referencing Bobby, I hope that lets our listeners know that, like, again, as perplexing as this season has been, um, he still has the ability to just do things that are not, that are just hard to comprehend at times. Mm-hmm. Most notably, I'm going to mention a, a man's name right now, okay? Okay, all right. Uh, no one should know who this man is. And I'm saying that because he's a professional football player for a team that doesn't have creative uniforms. <laughs> the man, the poor man's name is Tim Settle, okay? It was hard to read his number. You didn't read it in the moment because he was falling down to the turf. But he's number 97. Bobby has trained Patrick to let it loose. All right? Let it go. Let that thing go. Don't textbook out the window. <laughs> like start doing creative, you know what? Um I'm I'm just going to assume that Tim Settle has not done such in his <laughs> in his training regimen as a defensive tackle. Right, fair enough. Uh, just a little, just a little bio. Tim Settle is 6'3", 308 pounds. He's been in the league four years. Coming out of Virginia Tech, sure he's a fine athlete. It doesn't matter to me that this man threw from below the numbers on the field to the opposite hash mark, <laughs> thirty yards downfield. Without any particular juice behind the football. Like, if you if you just watch the wind-up and release of that pass, and then you cut it off, I'd be like, oh, man, maybe you found somebody, I would say, who has watched a lot of Patrick Mahomes. I would have gone like, oh, wow, he must have found somebody, like, 10 yards downfield. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. No. No, it was a bomb that he just that he just threw with his wrist. Mm-hmm. Off balance. Not, not yep. planted. No. Feet God, going no. in the other direction, because of course. Other way. Um, but poor, poor Tim. I mean, thought he had a chance to at least 
touch Patrick. Thought he had a chance to maybe get a sack, maybe get a highlight. And all I'm saying is those plays are still there. And I just wonder, because he's done two boneheaded things, how many how many times will he realize I still have to be true to myself? And that's making grown professional football players named Tim Settle look like children. Yeah. And that's the and that's what and I, I think I, I've said this many shows in a row now. I think I have a tremendous amount of faith in the particular listeners to this podcast because I think if you've listened to this podcast for a long time and you've listened to everything that that we've all talked about a million times over, that you've got a pretty good feel of you know what we think is important and maybe you agree with some of it at least. Um, so I I don't doubt that people listening to this understand that. But boy, I really hope the people who aren't listening to this show. Don't end up at a point, and I know they do because I've been on Chiefs Facebook a couple of times after some Chiefs losses. I I hope no Chiefs fan ever wishes that Patrick Mahomes was more like Kirk Cousins. <laughs> you know, that's the simplest way I can put it. Oh, officer, <laughs> I have seen a crime. <laughs> He was an innocent bystander. <laughs> I couldn't even believe that I hit him like that. I figured I'd run into the plexiglass first. But... <laughs> Whoa! Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Here's me being an optimist about Patrick Mahomes' turnovers. I'm going to go ahead and just rip off the work of Sam McDowell of the uh, Kansas City Star because uh, he deserves it, frankly. How real, dare you? Real piece, real piece of work, this guy. <laughs> this freaking guy. Um, so McDowell tweets, I hope people know that I also think that, again, I'm going to go ahead and trust the audience, that the more bleep we talk about fellow people in the media, the more we like them. Yes. And the more afraid we are to say anything bleepy about them, the more tension is probably there. I don't really, I can't really think of anybody in Kansas City media that I like wouldn't say anything about because I don't like them. We have a pretty good, a pretty good core, but uh, I, I feel like I can sideswipe Sam McDowell, you know, because I like him. Don't tell him that though, please. Please. Which is also why I can uh, sideswipe Kirk Cousins. <laughs> Just kidding. That one came from a darker place. Uh, so here's what here's what McDowell tweeted. Um, this was before the very bad pick. At, this, at that point, Mahomes had seven interceptions. Now it's eight. Mm-hmm. And he he itemized them as such. Two through Tyreek Hill's arms, one off Marcus Kemp's shoulder pads, one by a defensive lineman on a quick pass, three desperate third down heaves to avoid pressure slash punts. Now look, the the three desperate ones not i'm not saying those are like good or justified or or even that they're in the same category as ones that went through Tyreek Hill's hands um he can have you can split those up however you want you can individually litigate them however you want whatever the quick pass picked off last week by the defensive lineman on the corner i don't know if that was Lucas Niang needing to you know try to to mess that dude up a little bit so he couldn't get his arms up so easy or if Mahomes should have seen that happening i, I don't know but the three that receivers put into the arms of, of defensive backs, those are not Patrick Mahomes' problems. Now, those are still Kansas City Chiefs' problems. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, like, choices being made or, or or the spiraling or whatever, I don't think it makes much sense to go into the rest of this season expecting Patrick Mahomes to turn the ball over at the rate that his numbers have said so far. And also, this is something that, you know, again, whenever we talked about this in 2018, 19, 20, most of the time it was met with some resistance from Chiefs fans because people would say, you know, Patrick Mahomes has had pretty good turnover luck at this point uh, where there have been interceptable passes that have not been caught. And now, you know, we also talked plenty about how Patrick Mahomes throws the ball at 3,000 miles an hour sometimes and a quote-unquote interceptable pass would have required an unbelievable play by some linebacker and fair enough. But this year... They've had some pretty bad turnover luck. I would even wonder how many of their fumbles have they lost? I'm going to try to, I'll try to find that here because I'm, yeah. I'm actually curious of that as well. I, I would assume that, you know, for most teams, it's roughly 50-50. In some cases, you might have a guy who fumbles the ball and then it's right there in front of him again. Maybe, I, maybe a fumble is lost less often than half the time. For the Chiefs, I'm guessing that it's gone the other way. So I, I, luck is not a very satisfying explainer on this one. But I do think that it is a part of the conversation. Yeah. And, I, you know, I just people, I, I think, 
I think if you're a Chiefs fan, you hope the most optimistic that you can be through six games is, hey, let's 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 do what they did against Philly because that is the one rare case where, yes, Patrick threw a interception he probably shouldn't have thrown where you could mm-hmm. take the sack, um, but they didn't have any other turnovers in that game. Uh, now, what you hope on the defensive side of the ball is um, better tackling, which is what you saw. I mean, these are just things that you can do against any opponent, not necessarily a Washington team that looked kind of broken at times. Mm-hmm. But they were better at tackling. They played the right people, most notably Juan Thornhill and uh, Willie Gay. And Rashad Fenton got the start opposite Legereus Sneed. Mm-hmm. Which played, we talked about. Uh, yes, week. and has played with the confidence of a true NFL cornerback. Shout out to him. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So you hope Chris Jones comes back, of course. And they got they got a turnover or two. How about that? <laughs> it wasn't a three to zero turnover margin. It was right. three to two. It was it was okay. Um, so you hope that there's a mix of those two games. And it's interesting to me that like both of those things occurred on the road. It's like I don't know what that necessarily says, but like the offense had its most efficient day in Philadelphia, and the defense had its best day. In Washington, um, again, don't know what that means. Just want to reference that and, and make mm-hmm. sure people are aware of it, um, because you know the team has more home games this year than road games, which is again weird to say with the seventeen game schedule. Uh, but that's what you want, and you know who doesn't fumble, Josh? At least through six games of the season. You know, who has the a barrel? Problem. We're talking about the barrel. Is it barrel time? Mm-hmm. People, people are ready to people are ready to uh, to to get drunk off this barrel. Oh. <laughs> that is true. Whatever, that, whatever is inside of it. That uh, that was that's been weird for me to watch on Twitter because I have just been watching that one and that has been strange. You, 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 but good. You, I mean, he 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 was great in in the situation. Situationally, he was excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, his yards. I think he ended up with like three yards per carry, and some of that probably got hurt later in the game, but. Whenever he went, you know what? Daryl needs to do a little thing here. He was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you've you've loved Daryl Williams how long, Josh? I think I liked him as a rookie coming into you the did. league. You did. I'm not, oh. I've, been a, I've been a fan of a barrel rolling around out here. You, you did. So, uh, I see what they say it out here. So, hopefully this will serve everybody well moving forward. But, um... He doesn't fumble, and that that should help the offense. Yeah, <laughs> for the duration of the season, one one would assume. Uh, here's here's my little uh, my little cheeky stat: the Chiefs have lost six of their nine fumbles, which is not nice at all. Mm. So uh, the opponents, Chiefs opponents this year, have fumbled the ball seven times and lost two of them. Oh oh so oh I mean again in Philadelphia. <laughs> Got all of the fumbles back. Oh. <laughs> it's an interesting one. Like that again. I, other than Chris Jones, I don't know that any of those were like misplayed. You know, sometimes the ball just bounces. It's not yes, long ball. It, it bounces funny. Correct. Um, people have made the argument, and I can't say they're wrong because this is gonna this is gonna transition beautifully into into Excellent. into into just a thing that happened yesterday. <sighs> We have two examples. They are not exactly the same, but they are kind of similar. Joe Tooney, you never heard his name. Never. 
And my man had a, would you call it a, I wouldn't call it a club. I guess I'd call it more of a cast. But he moved people. Yeah. He was not a problem. No. Uh, He's yet to miss a snap this season, despite fracturing something within his hand, his right hand. And on the other side, you have Chris Jones, whose wrist was so bad, he could not pick up a a, 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 a ball that was fumbled by Jalen Hurts. Let's just acknowledge what it was. I mean, I have to be led to believe that the reason he could not pick up that fumble that luxurious need caused on Jalen Hurts was because his wrist was, he was just feeling a ton of pain. And it's hard to do anything when you're in pain. People have asked me, and I might as well just say it here, versus the internet, uh, how can it be that Joe Tootie plays through a broken hand and Chris Jones cannot play through what has been described as a as a left wrist contusion. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't have the answer. I just know one of these players appears to be more robot than the other. Joe there Tooney, was Joe Tooney was great. Yes, Joe Tooney was just great yesterday. I just yeah, he's never missed a game in his career. That guy has some Mitchell Schwartz qualities to him in terms of consistency and just reliability and dependableness. Um, and the Chiefs are doing the long thing. Um, I think Rick Bolkholder would tell both of us, Josh, that they are they are doing the correct thing for Chris throughout the duration of the season because he is that valuable to the team for the remainder of the season. One hopes if he returns to practice this upcoming week and perhaps against the Tennessee Titans. There was one quote that I, I don't, I don't know if I, I think I, what was this from last? This would have been, hold on. Two weeks ago. Or well, if this was, if this was from Wednesday, I was in the room and I didn't remember hearing it. It hit different whenever I, I was going through the transcripts for a, a story later. Um, and I, I found this quote from Andy Reid about Chris Jones that I actually almost texted you about, and then I forgot, so I'll run it by you here. He said, well, where he feels comfortable where he can play, that's literally it. When he feels that he can uh, can do his job, then he'll be back in. And that doesn't, I don't, you know, we can always read into things in, in the minutia, but that feels like one of those sort of, it, whenever it's right in his spirit sort of things, you know, for somebody who's literally day to day. I don't know. That one just, and again, I didn't even, it didn't even catch my ear in real time. It, maybe it reads differently than whenever he said it. But mm-hmm. the idea of, well, where he feels comfortable, where he can play, that's literally it. When he feels that and that he can do his job, then he'll be back in. So one has to Interesting. Take, yes, very. One has to take that information and say that. Both the Chiefs are comfortable, at least as of right now, trying to let the thing heal up as best it can. Because, again, it's a violent sport, ladies and gentlemen. Like, Mm -hmm. what Joe Tooney does should be praised and celebrated. I just did that. Mm -hmm. And I also need to acknowledge, that is incredibly dangerous. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, sir. Yeah. Sir. What? Like, I get it. You're making the most money a left guard is making in the league. But if it, I mean, if it hurts, man, you can, there, that's why you have teammates. And so for Chris, it's like, how much time does a wrist need to heal? 
Uh, there's been no discussion of surgery, so I need to make that point clear. Mm. Uh, everybody believes he'll play at some point later on this season. Um, I think the Chiefs assumed it would be Sunday against Washington because if it had not, then maybe they would have put him on the short-term injured reserve list, which would have given him three weeks to rest up, similar to what they're doing with Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Um, and so the expectation is is that he will either play against Tennessee or he will play the following week against the New York Giants, which gives him an extra day because that game's on Monday Night Football. Mm-hmm. Chris, I assume, and as a reporter, you never want to assume, but this is just my understanding of things right now, is that Chris played against Philadelphia and was like, nah, this isn't acceptable. And maybe I didn't give my team the best chance of winning because I'm supposed to, you know, expectation-wise, you know, be a dude. And I think he still mm-hmm. got a decent amount of pressure. He was still noticeable. Um, and, of course, as we talked about earlier, Josh, like Frank Clark was coming back into the mix. So at least you weren't losing both guys at the same time. So Yeah, because not having Frank Clark out there is basically a death sentence. With Chris <laughs> wanting... Thank you for just moving past it. I regretted it immediately. <laughs> with Chris... I think with Chris' situation is, I don't want to further injure it. I want to get it healed up. I know that some people are like, how can Joe Tooney play in this man not? These are just the simple steps that we're taking. Uh, clearly, I'll ask Andy Reid about it uh, in the coming days. But I just I just think Chris knows that like it's probably better to be closer to 100% than trying to gut this out for the course of the whole year, which... It's another reason why it's commendable that Joe Tooney's doing what? Which leads me to look. They only tell you the injuries because they have to, okay? <laughs> they only tell you the injuries because they are obligated to do such. So you don't lose all your money without a reasonable explanation. <laughs> because people gamble. Would I advise them to do that? No, I've seen too many horrific things and it's just not worth it long term. But that's just me. Again, I am optimistic. And why would you work so hard to have Kirk Cousins lose you money? (laughs) That's such a good way of putting it, man. Like if you... You, everybody out here works. Works so hard. got jobs. We're out here grinding to make this money. We're in a pandemic. What you doing? And tonight, tonight, you know, for me to find that, if I'm going to be able to afford my insulin tomorrow, I need uh, need the over to hit, and I need the bills to win this one by one and a half. You know, I teased (laughs) it down. I teased it down, and I'm either going to have insulin this week and also maybe a little extra cash on top of it, or uh, Or or GoFundMe may start. Or I might start a GoFundMe for my insulin pins. But anyway, (laughs) the team is so If Stephon Diggs goes under 65 and a half yards, Papa's got a brand new car. If he goes over, moving out. They have to tell you these things. And sometimes... The player does it because, hey, he understands. You respect him. You may adore or hate him. He provides you a level of entertainment that is highly impactful to your financial situation. Ladies and gentlemen, we learned after a Chiefs victory 
that Tyron Matthew played all the snaps and did his own version of a little Joe Tooney. At some point in this game, he sustained what appeared to be a fractured thumb. To him, somebody must have told him that. Or, you know, because he was playing the game, I'm sure he felt it. Still, despite all of that, Steve Spagnuolo called a perfect blitz at a perfect situation to get Tyron Matthew unblocked. And if you've come this far, I'm sure you know where this is headed. He did not wrap up. And we, as media members, are trying to explain to you the game in a digestible, understandable manner Mm -hmm. that will enlighten you about the players and the teams that you care about, whether they impact your financial future or not. Josh referenced something in the past in connection to what had just occurred. Again, where, as I've said before, not really the coach's fault. Players aren't executing to the degree that they used to on that particular side of the football. Yeah. Josh. Yeah. He responded to your analysis, which I believe to be fair. And within that, explained, which I think, to your credit, that he had a fractured thumb. And I just wonder how you felt he went about telling us this news. Yeah. So, I mean, I have a lot of feelings. <laughs> here's So, here's what happened. So Because there was the thing in the first half where, where Tyron Matthew was screaming at the sidelines after that third and long that got converted and apparently, like, threw his helmet and then picked it back up and then went and hit the bench with it a bunch of times and, like, Spags had to calm him down or whatever. There's just all of that. And I'm not saying any of that is inherently bad. It's just a thing that he does whenever other people, and sometimes maybe for himself, I guess, when, when the job doesn't get done. He takes it very seriously. Fair enough. Um, there were those couple of frames from the Bills game where Dan Sorensen appeared to have been the subject of Tyron Matthews, we'll say disbelief, disdain perhaps, where you can see the play happening downfield. Tyron Matthews turned around, arms wide open, arms outstretched to the heavens going, what the bleep is, is going on here? And as you said, we've heard about this a ton from players and coaches. Hey, we've got execution errors, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Tyron Matthew had a untouched blitz lane, as you said there, to make a huge play and to to rock Taylor Heineke if he, if he wanted to. And he bounced off of him like he was prime Ben Roethlisberger. And I tweeted after, you know, thinking about it for just a second. I, you know what? This is a thing that I'm thinking, and I'm going to put it out there for Chiefs Twitter. I'm going to give you verbatim what I said so you all can find out, you all can discover if you believe that I am absolutely wild for this or if I had a point. I tweeted, I'm probably going to get tweeted tweeted at for this, but if you're going to be screaming at the sidelines when stuff breaks down, you should use your arms to complete a sack on an untouched blitz instead of going for the hit stick. I have left that tweet there because I stand by that. Um, I didn't know the extent of Tyron Matthews' injury, as none of us did, because it wasn't announced post-game either. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I will I will tell you how he broke that news to all of us, and I'll let you, the listener, decide which one of us was being more unreasonable. He tweeted, fractured my thumb, couldn't even use my right arm. That's why I lunged with my shoulder. Next time, at me, I'm a big boy. I expect you to act the same. Cry baby asses. 
And, you know, look, I mean, I think it's it's very much up in the air which person, you know, was calling the other person a baby. Or I, I was taking issue with the technique on the tackle. We've only talked about tackling around this Chiefs defense, I don't know, every single week this season. <laughs> and Tyron Matthew, it's also, it's it's a little bit out of character for him, right? Which is another reason that it stands out. Yes. Also, I didn't hear from one single gosh darn Chiefs fan whenever I was absolutely roasting Dan Sorensen and the rest of y'all on Sunday Night Football. But I have this tweet about Tyron Matthew and some people showed up to Tyron's defense. Um, Tyron has deleted that tweet that I just read. There are plenty more that have gone around that... Um, you know, didn't really ever change anything, which is fine. It it seems very clear down the line that that after a few more tweets back and forth, that Matthew took that as a shot at like him as a teammate, which is not what I was going for or even thinking about. Um, I just thought the dichotomy there is that he holds people to a, to a high level of excellence on that defense, and uh, that he was not excellent on that play. If you don't think that's worth tweeting about or whatever. Fair enough. If you want to clarify that you were injured, fair enough. I think which, it's wild which, that which, he's out the way, there on a on a free blitz when he can't use his arms. That seems like a questionable move, but whatever. By the way, uh, I've always appreciated Ty, Tyron's willingness to be open and to share things. Uh, he is the most honest player on defense mm-hmm. by a. Far stretch. Because we mm-hmm. don't talk to Frank Clark anymore, ladies and gentlemen. The Chiefs, yep. don't, Chiefs don't really have us out here doing that. Uh, I think Chris has done quite a bit. Um, Anthony Hitchens is great in terms of schematics and trying to understand like his thought process as it relates to Spagnuolo and obviously the opposing uh, quarterback in office. But I think in terms of the attitude, the execution, or lack thereof, Tyron's the best at this. Um, he is... Would I would acknowledge probably the second leader on the team behind Patrick. Mm-hmm. Um, and so look, I appreciated that he told us that he was he was he was doing a little Joe Tooney out there. Uh, which again, credit to him because he played every snap uh, and he's a leader and he understands that, that is his job. Now sometimes, and this kind of goes back to my point with Chris Jones. Sometimes you can be out there, but not at your absolute best because. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a violent sport. It's dangerous. Like, I can't acknowledge that. Or I can't say it anymore. Like, how dangerous this sport is for our entertainment, is <laughs> amusement, or financial futures. Uh, <laughs> I, I understand both men's points. Clearly, I'm talking to one right now. I'll talk to the other one later. Um, I don't really see anything... Wrong with what you said, Josh. Uh, we are, like, our jobs are to be critical at times. It's to, you know, obviously bring context to things. Um, it's to provide some level of insight that mm. maybe the common fan, reader, viewer, listener doesn't know. Um, so, Tyron has a right to say what he wants to say. That's fine. Sure. Yeah. Do I find it comically hilarious? I'm going to plead the fifth. Sure. (laughs) Also fair. And I just, you know, um, what I took away from both the game and even the back and forth uh, is that this defense has to have a attitude. Mm -hmm. They've got to get more you-know-what. You're welcome, Chiefs fans. and, and, And sometimes... 
Inspiration comes from places you don't expect. <laughs> I I will say like hundred percent. If players want to respond to critiques and put out any sort of logic of like why it wasn't why why it was or wasn't the right thing or whatever, I think that's actually great for everybody to understand what's happening more. Because we all Mitch, learned something. Mitchell Schwartz does it for chief stuff sometimes. It doesn't directly involve him, right? But like he's done some of that, and yeah, a hundred percent. You learn from that. I think the way that Tyron responded was a little goofy. And I think that some of the stuff that ended up happening farther down the line was even sillier. But I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not like, I'm not heated about it. The other thing, that's sort of, I guess that's a little frustrating. And again, trusting the listeners and not so much the people that discovered my Twitter account after Tyron retweeted it. Those people are not going to end up with me in this. And that's fine. Um, I don't feel like I've, I don't think I have like a reputation as being like a Tyron Matthew hater, right? Like the last thing I remember talking a lot about around Matthew was how Spags talked about how he was one of the most important players to a defense he'd ever coached. Mm -hmm. The question that I asked, because I figured that would be the answer. Um, He's been incredibly valuable to this defense. If you, if, if I said something snarky about Frank Clark or, you know, running back value, you've I've got a track record there and do it, do what you must to me. I mean, at that point, I know I've I've made my bed. but and, I and, uh, and it appears that Kirk Cousins is on the rap sheet now. That's too. exactly right. That's exactly right. If you're Troy Aikman or Kirk Cousins as well, you guys both, you know, if something happens with them, that's fine. But uh, I don't know. I, I thought it was all a little bit strange, even though, you know, Matthews tweeted stuff like that to people before. And, um, you know, I, I, the, 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 the mob that showed up behind the, the, the few Matthew tweets were sort of annoying to completely destroy my mentions as I was in the middle of doing a post game show made, made that experience a little more hectic, but I'm, I'm happy for him to, to tweet about the reasoning behind a, a play not being made or whatever. And also he did miss that tackle. Like you can be injured or in all of that, and that's I'm not even gonna say like why are you making excuses because it's it, apparently the truth. Fine with that. I I would stand by my questioning of how that play went. Now we know that he apparently has a fractured thumb. And my little all- sister is taking his side, by the way, which is really that's gonna be <laughs> her Christmas list just got a lot shorter on my end. My Amazon cart got a lot lighter just now. Because I'll just buy her a, I'll send a literal honey badger to the house and just say, here you go, Merry Christmas, Chloe. But, you know, that's, uh, uh, sometimes Twitter and all of this stuff is extremely weird and patently absurd. And that's part of the reason that uh, that I keep wanting to do it. Yeah. And I think we're all better served for it. Except for that guy that tried to make fun of me for going to the hospital, and then I retweeted him to make fun of him, and then he deleted his tweet. That dude's a coward. Um, Don't delete so your tweets. Keep them up. The internet is forever. As, as we come out of this, I'm trying to give people the right perspective. As I said in our last episode, yes, even though Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback, even though he's been Super Bowl MVP, um... This season is more about the other guys than it is Mahomes, which is hard to do. I understand because he's very, very good at football. Mm -hmm. But this season is about the other 52 guys, the other guys in uniform on the field. How much do they raise their level or, as they did yesterday against Washington, encourage Pat 
um, and support him in the way that he has obviously supported the entire franchise. If Pat, excuse me, if Tyron Matthew has this fractured thumb, we don't know if it's on the arm that he mentioned, whether that, you know, again, playing this sport is just, everyone needs to be commended. Even the punters, man. It's just, it's a crazy <laughs> sport. Like, you think the long snapper's just a dude? No, he is not, ladies and gentlemen. That man, he, he, he plays a, he has a different job than you. Um, <laughs> if, if, if we gain knowledge that we would not have gained otherwise based on this, it leads me to another thought that I think Chiefs fans should take with them. It's up to the kids now on defense. Mm. Um, will Tyron be there? Of course he will. He's always been there. Tyron Matthews, similar to Joe Tooney, has never missed a game. But if this defense is going to improve, it's going to be because of the younger players. Uh, it's going to be because Rashad Fitton comes into his own in his third season. Uh, it's because Tershawn Wharton makes ridiculous plays because he's a ridiculous athlete. Mike Dana, tenacity, motor, want to, is going to have to be a huge factor when we assume Chris Jones comes back healthier than he is now and Frank Clark gets into more and more of a gear as he gets more comfortable playing games consecutively. Um, he played a, a heavy portion of the snaps. Uh, I would say that I would give, honestly, I'd give a little lean. I'd give more leniency to Frank Clark missing his sack opportunity because of the whole pat roughing the passer situation last week. And it's like, well, he can't throw him down to the ground too hard because that would be a penalty too, which is just, and he was say. on the ground with a quarterback. Like, yeah, it, it's, that like was, he, that's he, weird. He rodeoed him in the absolute technical way you want to. And it yeah. demonstrates that he is a coachable player because he did something better than the week prior. Because he didn't, he didn't grab Taylor Heineke by the <laughs> ear holes on his helmet and, you know, wrestling drop him. Yes. Yeah. So I think, I think I would give less criticism to Frank Clark and more to Tyron Matthew, because again, we're trying to be fair as we analyze this, um, Anthony Hitchens left the game with a right elbow injury. I believe I can't remember if it's right or left, but I think it's his right elbow. Um, who knows what he will, you know, who knows what his availability will be, um, maybe against Tennessee or further down the road. So Nick Bolton, Willie Gay, here's trial. Here's fire. Let's swim. Um, Juan Thornhill playing the majority of the snaps or 100% of, baby thank, 100% thank all of the snaps and to my eyes both in the moment and rewatching the game really not making a cataclysmic mistake did you see mm -hmm. any mistakes Josh I mean no the only one the defense made was the Ricky Seals Jones touchdown um and I was running this by it before the show cuz I hadn't I hadn't gotten a good view of it still Thornhill clearly went to the other side of the field. I'm not sure who he was helping over there, but it, there was a receiver running down the sideline. So I think it would make sense to go over to the side of the guy with more speed. And, and Ricky Seals-Jones, I think, just beat uh, Ben Neiman on that one. Yes, and because Ricky Seals-Jones, in my opinion, was on the Chiefs roster last year, I'm assuming he has some of the tendencies down on the defense. Yeah. Um, and 
what Ricky Seal Jones said after the game was they bit on a screen. They bit basically mm. on a wide receiver screen. He mm-hmm. comes out. He he kind of escapes out of Ben Neiman's uh, eyes because, as we talked about last week, eye leverage. Um, mm-hmm. What was his assignment? Who was he supposed to be covering? He's supposed to be covering Ricky Seals-Jones. He takes his eyes off Ricky Seals-Jones because he anticipates a pump fake that's going to the receiver on the boundary, on the perimeter, not the guy on the inside who's running right by him. Um, Juan Thornhill, I think, assumes, based on, as you mentioned, Josh, speed, the formation as the deep high safety, this is where I should shade my eyes to. And for whatever reason, that left their, that led to Washington's one explosive play, their one touchdown. Um, so it's more on Ben Neiman not doing his assignment more so than, hey, man, even if you're the deep safety, sometimes if a guy's wide open in less than two seconds, which we acknowledged before, I don't know how many defenders can really do anything with it. Um, and so... Ladies and gentlemen, think less. I know this sounds weird. Think less about Patrick Mahomes and everybody else. And particularly on defense, think less about Tyron Matthew, less about Chris Jones, less about Frank Clark. I know what they make on the salary cap. The only way this defense is going to improve is if Juan Thornhill, Mike Dana, Willie Gay, (sighs) Bolton, Tershawn Wharton, like all those guys have to be complimentary players. Mm. And they've got to be the reason because they're not old. They don't have the same amount of tires <laughs> based on playing the amount of games that the senior group has played so far with the Chiefs. Um, it's up to the kids now, in my opinion. And if the kids play the way they did against Washington more consistently as the season goes along, then the kids will be all right. And maybe the defense will be all right or a, a little bit more respectable. But because the kids were all right yesterday, the defense was okay. And I think that's the viewpoint to look at this defense moving forward from a personnel issue when I think you and I agree, Josh, that it's it's not really – the scheme is not the problem. Right. It's, it's the 11 guys on the field working together. And quietly, it's more – of the younger players in that 11 than the veteran core star players. Uh, unless you've got anything else, and we spent a lot of time on some of the negatives of this game, which I feel a little bit, I, I feel like we we may have overemphasized the first half, underemphasized the second half, but there's, there's your look at the defense. We all have said the whole time the offense, has had, the offense has had a turnover issue, and that's about it. So unless you've got anything else, we, we are at time to wrap up. There is clearly one remaining topic that we will be very sad about. But last mm-hmm. call for anything other than our very sad final topic. No, no nothing that I can think of right now um, because, yeah, I just, you know, uh, the team's three and three. By the way, Baltimore helped you yesterday. Um, yep. Quietly, the Las Vegas Raiders helped you. Yep. Uh, so... Um, the AFC race is getting a little bit more condensed, but no, I think I think we got to everything, <sighs> and now we must do what is required in this podcast. I might have said this earlier in the year, but I want to clarify something on this. From the beginning, whenever this show was in its newborn stage, not even infancy yet, and we were talking about Jody Fortson, even when we were, Nate was calling him Jody Foster. Mm-hmm. Even in those days, I want something to be very clear. It was it was not a bit 
right? It's never been a bit. We have always been enamored by the skill set of Jody Fortson. Yes. And his story, Valdosta State, two years on the, the practice squad or hurt or whatever, and, and getting through training camp this year in a tough tight end battle on a team that ended up keeping four tight ends, coming out, catching touchdowns, mossing a dude against Washington. Landon Collins of all players, not just a dude. Landon Collins. Wait, who used really? to be a dude. I didn't even know. I didn't even remember that he was in Washington. Yeah, he's 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 um uh, he, yeah. It, it's gone a certain way for him lately. Holy cow! I remember some Chiefs fans that went at him here. I'm woof. Uh, yep. I mean, he didn't tweet at me yesterday, so it might have been better for my mentions than the alternative the Chiefs ended up going with the safety position. But for the team, it certainly wouldn't have been. Holy smokes! Anyway, back to Jody Fortson. He genuinely has been. One of the best stories in football this year with the payoff of everything we just mentioned. And uh, it was pretty evident from the first replay, confirmed post-game, confirmed uh, by Andy Reid today. Jody Fortson uh, tore his Achilles, which is a season ender. And frankly, like I just hope that he ends up being pretty close to the version of himself that we saw this year whenever training camp comes around next year, even if it's maybe not 100% full go start. He, he Seth made this point that, you know, it, it's not like Jody Fortson has enjoyed the cushiest path to the NFL by any means. Mm-hmm. So the idea that this would be the thing that just ends it seems very unlikely. Um but it just bumps me out, man. It just makes me genuinely sad for him, for all of us watching him, for the start to the season that he had. Um, it's just a real bummer. I don't have any jokes or anything. It makes me sad. What made this story, what made um, his part of the season um, so enjoyable is uh, we got to know who he was from a personality standpoint. mm and then um, it became very easy for fans, for anyone who's wanted to achieve something uh, that would be considered uh, of great odds. That in a lot of ways, and, and Jody sort of told me this in training camp, and it didn't get in the story because I don't know if it was necessarily relevant at the time. And it was sort of a bigger picture thing, but like. Jody Fortson tied himself to Chiefs fans and to just aspirational sports fans in general mm-hmm. in a way that I think less and less professional athletes are doing, which is kind of sad. Uh, but look, he he knows that uh, he can be an inspiration for other people, um, for children. Uh, he, knew, he knew how blessed he was. Um, to even earn <laughs> a stay with the Chiefs based on one day, as we've described earlier. On one day, he made it work in the fourth preseason game, which they don't even have anymore. And we talked about that too. But like, like he would not have been with the team for two straight um, practice squad years had he not had an amazing performance in the fourth preseason game against the Green Bay Packers to start mm-hmm. the Chiefs championship season. Um so it is, from a personal standpoint, kind of devastating um, because I think Jody Fortson understands that he represents a very good part about sports um, and why people care 
about another human being that can do things physically and mentally that they can't even fathom. <laughs> like, uh, and then trying to, exp- you know, share and explain that, that sort of experience um, to the listener or the fan or the viewer. And so it was, um, it was cool to know in a very just heartbreaking, you know, experience that he knew how blessed he was to be a part of this team to catch pass from Patrick Mahomes, to learn from Andy Reid, to be next to Travis Kelsey in the in the film rooms, to have all those guys um, acknowledge and appreciate him and give him encouraging words for this next phase of his career, which is coming back from um, an injury that is that is not going to be easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jody Fortson, as you mentioned, Josh, there's really been nothing easy part of his story, which makes him endearing, which makes him honestly relatable, which makes him a human, not just a football player in a football pads and helmet. Um, so we definitely wanted to acknowledge him. Uh, he put out uh, a brief few messages earlier today uh, via Twitter. And look, he, he said, thank you for your positive vibes and words of encouragement. Love is love. And so um, the Chiefs really know his value, and we'll just see where it goes from here on out. But um, from Jody Foster to Jody Fortson, uh, it was it was a um, it was a it was the best part of probably these six weeks. If you if you actually knew if you if you stay with us this long, God bless you, listener. No kidding. <laughs> But if you've been with us since the early beginning, since uh, our, our, yes, our newborn days, um, Jody Fortson, us all identifying him and then him being an even better player and human being than we all could have anticipated. He was honestly the best part of five and a half weeks because he got injured in the third quarter. Um, you know, so we'll see where this goes, but uh, I hope people um, understand like how how futile some of this stuff is, how short lived it can be because he was doing things that were truly like storybook, like worthy, Mm -hmm. like Disney film worthy. And you know, now he's going to have to, um, he's going to have to do another, another feat. And so we'll see where that goes. Yeah, and he's also, he's not dead, which I know for this, we got kind of dark here for a football, while. So football, he's just, wise, it's football, football. It's his football. And, Ooh, and, uh, thank so he's goodness, okay. Josh. He's thank okay. Thank you goodness, know, yes. Achilles isn't, isn't terminal. He'll, he'll, he'll be back, but it's yep. just, uh, it is a big, a big bummer. Yeah. Um. So look forward to hopefully hearing about his next sort of unbelievable, uh, the, the, the tweet that Bleacher, will put, Bleacher Report will put back out in a year from now will be all the stuff that he did um uh you know that that all went up a week or two ago now it'll just say you know dash came back from torn achilles last year yeah so and, hopefully and that's pro- the next chapter and probably still mossing people you know almost but, certainly yeah i mean who who <laughs> would i doubt jody fortson the answer is no absolutely not never for anything uh, all right, that'll do it for us here today. Go check out Nate's post-game piece up on The Athletic. You can uh, also follow both of us on Twitter, at ByNateTaylor. I'm at JB Briscoe, but if you just follow Tyron Matthew, you'll probably see half my tweet show up on your timeline anyway. And uh, we'll be back later in the week to preview a super interesting Chiefs-Titans game. Uh, I am incredibly interested to see how this team looks tonight against the Bills. So uh, if you're listening before, during, or after Monday Night Football, enjoy that. 
And uh, we'll talk to you again coming up next week or later, later this week, excuse me. And Nate, I don't know if you have a funny exit for today after our very sad segment about Jody Fortson, but you have to have the final words because that's just how this podcast works. <laughs> oh, it is an honor and a burden. <laughs> All I would say is, hey, you know, this is supposed to be fun. And you don't, you don't have to tie your financial future to whether or not a player is fully healthy or not. I just, I just want to advise you, your financial future is not dependent on a player's health that you may or may not know. Let's go, Bills. Hit that over, baby. I got to eat this week. <laughs>